Hey, so this morning I want to start by talking about the importance of last words. Last words are important. We know that, right? So, mental health professionals, counselors, oftentimes they are paying attention to a person's last words. As that session ends... And, and that person gets up to leave that counseling session, many times they will say something that is key, that unlocks the entire conversation, something that was left unsaid before. Last words are important. When I was in the Marine Corps, there is a general understanding that you follow the last order that is passed down. Again, last words are important. Can you imagine if, if a company commander who's trying to keep everybody all moving together and facing the enemy and, and, and he's giving orders to make that happen and then that company commander's got people running all over the battle space. There's no way to tell who's who on the battlefield and that can be super dangerous. So in the Marine Corps, they always tell you, follow the last order that you have received. Last words are important. If you're a parent or if you're a kid, you've probably been on the receiving end of this, but as a parent, have have you ever had one of those conversations where you are on your way out the door and you are just hitting your kids if they're staying home alone with just this whole list of things to do and not to do? Because you're trying to keep your kids alive and, and not have the house burnt down while you are away. This past week, Cindy and Emma went to the beach for a few days and left Luke and I alone. And she left probably about three pages of instructions on how to keep Luke alive and one page of instructions on how to keep the dog alive. And those last words were important because we all survived. Last words are important. Have you ever had a final conversation with a loved one just before they've passed away? Some, some absolutely meaningful things get said in those final conversations or maybe you haven't had the chance to have that kind of final conversation with that loved one and, and you grieve that missed opportunity. And why is that? It's because last words are important. In our scripture this morning, coming out of, out of John chapter 14, we are going to see some, some last words of Jesus. See, John 14 actually begins a conversation that moves from John 14 into John 15, then John 16, then John 17. And in this final conversation, Jesus is giving us the, these last words before that, that evening as he is arrested and then tried and then crucified. And so as you can imagine, there's a lot going on in these chapters, but there's this one consistent thing that Jesus comes back to again and again and again. And to see that, let's jump into these last words of Jesus coming in in, in John chapter 14, starting in verse 16. Here's what it says there. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. 
And then if we drop down to verse 25, it says, I'm telling you these things while I am still with you, but when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything that I've told you. I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace that I give you is a gift the world cannot give, so don't be troubled or afraid. So I need for you to see this this morning, that these final words of Jesus before his, his arrest and trial and crucifixion, these last words are important. But I think if, if we zoom out, I think the, the importance of these last words take on an entirely different dimension. If we jump into John 15, again, part of this same final conversation, the, the, these last words, we see Jesus saying this, Verse 26 of John 15, but I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify about me. If we jump into John chapter 16, again, still part of this same final conversation, Jesus says this. John 16, starting in verse 5, but now I am going away to the one who sent me, and not one of you is asking where I am going. Instead, you grieve because of what I've told you. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. And jumping down to verse 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me. The thing is, we're not done. I am intentionally dogpiling these verses on purpose because if we go next to another final conversation that Jesus has, the, the conversation that Jesus has after his resurrection, but just before he returns to heaven, here's what we see there. Acts chapter one, this time in verse four. It says, once when he was eating with them, Jesus, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then in the very next verse, even, even though these, these verses are co-located, the scriptures indicate that, that verse six is, is yet another separate conversation. Jesus once again comes back to you, the Holy Spirit. These, these are the last words of Jesus as Jesus returns then to, to the Father in verse nine, Acts chapter one, verse nine. So in Acts chapter one, verse six, we see this. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So, a lot here, but this morning, I need you to see this, that that Jesus, across these last words, these last words before he's crucified, these last words before he returns to the Father, Jesus comes back to the Holy Spirit again and again and again and again and again. Why is that? 
Why is Jesus inviting his followers? Why is Jesus inviting you into the closest kind of intimacy with the Holy Spirit? And it's because the Holy Spirit helps you live. To actually live in in your everyday life. Your highs and your lows and your joys and your struggles. And dirty dishes and dirty diapers and bosses that annoy you and coworkers that annoy you, and mean teachers and flat tires. Like in your actual real life, the Holy Spirit helps you live more and more in the full reality of Christ's love. That, that even in the physical absence of Jesus, that, that Christ comes to us and dwells within us through the person of the Holy Spirit. And so that means that if you are a follower of Jesus, you as you navigate this very broken life, you are never ever alone. But sometimes, sometimes, if we're honest, you and I act as if we are alone. Jesus says in in John 14, 18, no, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. But I wonder how many of us live our lives as if we are orphans, as if we have been abandoned, as if we are in this life all alone. I say it this way, I wonder how many of us are living in a way that is disconnected from the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. This morning I want to spend some time with this because this might be easy for you to dismiss, but it would be a mistake to do so. How do you know if you're living in a disconnected kind of way? As if you are alone, as if you've been abandoned, as if you are an orphan. I've got this diagnostic checklist that I have used for a couple of years now that comes from a group called World Harvest Mission. And I want you, as I go through this checklist, I want you to identify these tendencies in your life. I want you to take that tendency that you're like, ouch, that's me. I want you to take that tendency and just slide it in your back pocket because we'll come back to that in a few moments. So the believer living as if they have been abandoned, right? The believer living as if they are disconnected from the Holy Spirit is anxious over needs, relationships, money, health. I'm all alone and nobody cares. The believer living as if they have been abandoned, as if they are disconnected from the Holy Spirit, lives on a succeed-fail basis, needs to look good, needs to be right. The believer living as if they have been abandoned, as if they are disconnected from the Holy Spirit, feels alone, lacks a daily vital intimacy with God, feels condemned, guilty, unworthy, has little faith, lots of fear, thinks I've got to be the one to fix it, labors under an intense sense of unlimited obligation, tries too hard to please, burns out, is rebellious, resists authority, is not easily teachable, is defensive. The believer living as if they have been abandoned, as if they are disconnected from the Holy Spirit, needs to be right and safe and secure, unwilling to fail, unable to tolerate criticism, is complaining, is bitter, tears down others, gossips, needs to criticize, 
tends to compare himself, herself with others, leading either to pride or depression. The believer living as if they have been abandoned, as if they are disconnected from the Holy Spirit, feels powerless to defeat the flesh, has no heart victory over sin, yet has lost their sense of being a sinner, is relatively prayerless. Prayer is a last resort. The Bible's promises of spiritual power and joy are missing. Needs to be in control of situations, needs to be in control of people. Looks for satisfaction in possessions, positions, status, stuff. Meaning that something other than Jesus makes him or her feel worthy and worthwhile. Lacks passion to share the gospel since her Christian life is not really good news. Anybody identify with anything on that list? If you're like me, I identify with about four or five of those things on that list. And the reality is that when you find yourself there, you are living as if you have been abandoned, as if you are all alone. In a way, disconnected from the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Here's what Tim Keller says about the Holy Spirit, and it's helpful for these areas where we are living in a disconnected sort of way. Keller writes, I love the fact that the Holy Spirit is not merely an instructor, but an advocate. Though he is the spirit of truth, he does not merely teach and inform us. He calls us to live according to what he is telling us. He convicts and challenges us. He says, in effect, you are a sinner. Are you living with the humility and dependence on God that results from that fact? Yet you are also righteous in Christ, adopted and accepted into the family. Are you living with the boldness and the freedom that should accord with that fact? Are you as free from the need for worldly power and approval and comfort as you should be? The Spirit argues with us, he exhorts, he beseeches, and entreats us, all good translations of that word advocate, to live in accordance with the accomplishments and the realities of Christ's love. So this morning, I need for us to see the disconnect. The Spirit is pulling, if you are a follower of Jesus, the Spirit is pulling us to live in the reality of Christ's love, yet every single one of us, we all have these areas in our lives, in our hearts, where we are living in a way that is disconnected from the reality of Christ's love, disconnected from the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Can you see that disconnect? Can you see that disconnect in your life? What will you do with that disconnect? Please don't ignore it. John 14, verse 17, is Christ's indictment of the world. It says, the world cannot receive him, the Holy Spirit. And why? Because the world isn't looking for him. The world does not recognize him. This is is an indictment of the world. Don't let this verse be a description of you. Are you looking for the Spirit's move in your life? Do you recognize how the Spirit is on the move in your life? Do you know that any sense of ouch that you felt as I ran down through that checklist 
anything that, that you identified with there, that sense of ouch is the Holy Spirit. And it is an opportunity for you to press in. Right? That sense of ouch is the Holy Spirit saying to you, hey, here's an area where, where I want to go to work. Where you need to allow me to go to work. Here's an area where, where I want to help you. Here's an area where you are missing out and I want to show you what it means to more and more fully experience the love of Jesus in that area of your life. So will you allow the Holy Spirit to go to to work in that area? Remember, Jesus emphasizes the Holy Spirit again and again and again and again and again in these last words because it is the Holy Spirit who helps you live to actually live the ins and outs of your everyday more and more in the full reality of Christ's love. This morning, I've asked Jen Burkholder to come and share some of the ways that she is recognizing the Holy Spirit at work in her life. Is it on? Yeah. Good morning. I am so excited that I have the opportunity to get up here um, and share what God's been doing in my life. Um, it's not necessarily an easy thing, but it is such a good thing. And uh, I'm abruptly in this season of new joy and new hope and renewed purpose and new peace after being in a season where I was a lot of the things that Brian just described. Um, and I'm not saying I have arrived by any means, but there's progress and that is something to be celebrated. Um, and I want to tell you, I value authenticity. I am not up here, and I'm not going to slap on, a, and she lived happily ever after the end. So I don't want you to do that either. This is just a peek into an ongoing journey that I've been on. Uh, this week, I was talking with a new acquaintance. She and her husband live on a farm outside of Mannheim, and we've been talking about the weather and all of our rain that we have. And she was saying that her husband grew up on this farm, And there are these springs that are popping up all over the place that that he's never seen them before in all the 60-plus years he's been there. And it just brought to mind a scripture that's been really important to me. Um, God said through the prophet Isaiah, See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. And that has been a promise that I've been clinging to through a time where I felt really dry. Um... Now, I know that Prophet Isaiah was talking about the coming Messiah um, and the promise that that was for um, all generations, but I believe it's also for here and for now because the Spirit continues to move and work. Um, and actually, just a couple verses later, he actually references the Spirit to come for future generations, for you and for me, and that's pretty exciting. I don't know how many of you are also thirsty And just craving sight to see the Holy Spirit at work, maybe in a situation in your life or in your family or in our community. It's definitely in our world, right? Um, But that's me. I have been so thirsty and craving that. And I want to be just drenched in these new springs, and I want to see them popping up around me um, in my town and in my family. And I just get really passionate about that. But that's not how I was living at all. Um, I believed that I believed that God was enough, but that's not how I lived my life. The inside of me was just broken and thirsty and living in fear. But through a series of events just recently, I um, just came to my breaking point, and through the Holy Spirit, his timing and his work, um, God exposed those things to me. 
Um, and I was able to see it for the first time and see how thirsty I was. Jenny Allen, in a book called Nothing to Prove, highly recommend it, um, says, to feel our thirst is one of God's greatest gifts to us because when we recognize our thirst for him, it's the beginning of our finding him. So I want to tell you about my dog, Gracie. She's one. She's adorable. We have an older dog who's 12. She's cute, too. Um, but Gracie teaches me a lot. And when Gracie wants to snuggle, she does not just get close to you. She comes and she actually, like, I can feel the weight of her on my legs as I, like, lay down. She's, like, pressing in. Um, Gracie is very different than Zoe in that, you know, if Zoe sees an open door cracked open, she sits there and she whines because she feels like she can't go through. Gracie just pushes her way right in and goes even when she's not wanted. Um, and then one of my favorite things, it's not one of Corby's, but in the morning, Gracie's hungry. And so she comes and she pounces on her bed and she gets right on Corby's chest and she just stares him in the face. And she just keeps pressing and pressing until he gets up. Now, God is not like Corby and he's not sleeping, but we learn some things from this. Like, I can press in each and every day to who God is and into his Holy Spirit. Um, I can be persistent when I am hungry for the presence of God. I have to be persistent. And that open door, Hebrews tells us that we have an open door, an invitation to walk boldly and confidently into the throne room of grace. And that's what we can do in prayer. It's a picture of how we seek God. We press, we walk in, and we persist. Now, when my kids were Easter egg hunting, when they were little, they were just toddlers. We'd, like, just throw them in the middle of the yard, and that was good enough, right? But now that they're older, we hide them harder places. And it's a little bit like that. Like, they, they have to persist in looking, and then they finally get a payoff. And that's how our walk with God is now, too. Like, we're not just toddlers anymore. Like, the gifts of God are all around us, but... As we go deeper and into harder situations, we might have to look a little harder. But I promise you that the payoff is much more than what you find in an Easter egg. See, I have to pray a lot. And through that season of doubt and drought, I prayed a lot. I wrestled. I pressed. And I persisted. You see, I do not see the movement of the Holy Spirit when my eyes were trained on my screens, on my to-do list, on my problems, and on my fears. I did not see what he was up to. But in pressing and persisting and seeking, I found it. I found it. It pays off. And I'm here to encourage you that it pays off. I read a lot of books that point me to the truth, and I never stop learning. We can't say that we've always learned it. I hear truth when I crack open my Bible and I meditate on it. And I can find joy and peace as I press into the Holy Spirit day after day. And I am finding boundless treasures as I consistently seek who God is. And I have gained intimacy with Christ through raw and honest conversation. There have been times that I've been in my car by myself and I'm pounding the steering wheel and just crying out. And that's okay. God can handle that. And I have grown in passion as God has revealed his heart to me. And it is so exciting. I see joy welling up in my heart again. And hope light is flooding into my soul because of persistence. 
And it's so exciting. I don't know. Are you thirsty? What do you want? What do we want? Are we worth, are we, you know, looking for that treasure that's worth it? The Holy Spirit promises to answer us. And if we want it for our community and for our families and for our world, it has to start with us. It has to start within us. We're all invited to drink deep. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Thank you, Jen. There was a quote in there, and it was this. To feel our thirst is one of God's greatest gifts to us. In the moment, it does not feel like a gift what it is. To recognize our need for God is the beginning of our finding him. That area on that diagnostic tool that I went through a few moments ago, right? that checklist, living as if you have been abandoned, as if you are disconnected from the Holy Spirit. Jesus wants to make sure that you know that you have not been abandoned. Jesus is inviting you to press in. That's the importance of these last words of Christ that we've been looking at this morning. But if you are living as if you've been abandoned, know that that struggle is an area where where you need the Holy Spirit to do the Holy Spirit's deep work in your life to help you live in the full reality of Christ's love. And so as Jen just asked, what do we want? What do you want? This morning, I'm going to leave you with a quote, a question, and some quiet. The quote is this. It's from a book that I've been reading lately. It's called An Invitation to Solitude and Silence. And it says, the process of being conformed to the image of Christ, and that is what the Holy Spirit does, conforms you into the image of Christ. The process of being conformed to the image of Christ takes place primarily at the point of our unlikeness to Christ's image. Did you catch that? Because it's important. The process of being conformed to the image of Christ takes place primarily at the point of our unlikeness to Christ's image. Those things on that checklist that we went over. God is involved with us in the most imprisoning bondage of our brokenness. The Spirit meets us in those places of our lives that are most alienated from God. That's good too. I'm going to read that one again as well. God meets us, the Spirit meets us in those places of our lives that are most alienated from God. So the question is this. In the face of blank, in the face of that thing that you struggle with, that thing that you identified, that orphan abandoned tendency that resonated with you as I was working down through that checklist. In the face of that blank, whatever it is for you, will you ask the Holy Spirit? And remember, Jesus wants you to know that the Spirit is with you, 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 the Spirit is with you. Will you ask the Holy Spirit to help you live in the full reality of Christ's love? 
And if you answer yes to this, I want, I want to give you some space. I want to give you a few moments of quiet to begin to talk to God about that area where you are feeling as if you've been abandoned, as if you are disconnected from the Holy Spirit, and don't feel like you have to go this alone. If you want to talk about what it looks like to, to unpack this in your life, reach out to me. Please reach out to me. Reach out to one of our, our, our other pastors. But in the face of that thing that you are struggling with, will you ask the Holy Spirit to help you live in the full reality of Christ's love? Let's go quiet and pray.